Hello, everyone. Welcome to VLGA Connect and the weekly governance updates. A bit of a surprise for you this week. It's coming to you just a tad earlier than you might have been anticipating. Um, what could be better? Stephen Cooper, hello. I'll always be prepared to be surprised in the governance space. Chris, hello. Indeed. And what sort of a week has it been? I think you've been out and about uh, around various councils as part of uh, the induction uh, process. No names, no pack drill, Chris, but yeah, um, inductions have started in full swing. Councils um, meeting and greeting each other, um, some electing mayors, some leaving it until later. But um, yes, we're involved in those discussions. Might talk a bit about some observations um, out of those discussions in a moment. But firstly, have you, I'm assuming you've been too busy to watch any of the Operation Sandon proceedings this week? Oh, Chris, I've been devastated, actually, that I haven't had the time to tune in because, as we talked about earlier, it's something that's nice to have running in the background while you're just uh, beavering away on your work. So, no, I haven't heard much, but I believe you've been listening in. Uh, I have the last few days. It's been very interesting to uh, see and hear testimony from a former councillor in particular and uh, some a line of questioning around various um, uh, associations, shall we say, uh, proposals, uh, some, some interesting themes emerging. Uh, to me, Steve, a big, uh, a big question around blurred lines of association between the role of councillor and more personal dealings, if you like, uh, with people in the community. Chris, I think that's worth exploring because isn't there an issue that in some ways the revelations in um, a hearing like Sandon um, can appear so explosive that there might be a tendency to say, well, that could never happen here. But inevitably there are lessons for every council. So I'm really interested to sort of unpack what you think, you know, what you think some of that blurring of the lines might look like and, um, you know, what you took away from that. It looks like naivete, to be frank, um, uh, you know, and a lot of what I'm hearing, and I'm not going to name anything in particular, um, beggars belief, uh, really, that these types of things could happen without an understanding or uh, an even, um, a, 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 even the slightest sense that there might be some sort of inappropriateness Mm. Yeah, and of course, Chris, the commissioner will make a recommendation in the, or, you know, bring down a report in the fullness of time. And if there are legal matters to be proceeded with, that will occur in the fullness of time. And those things should take their course. I thought even going back to November, when in the early days of the hearing, one of the real interesting features were some transactions between um, councillors and um, particularly um, members of the development community that were dressed up with formal contracts and agreements to sort of give them an air of respectability. And I, I get a sense from you that that continued. Yeah, absolutely. And the other big learning for me this week, I had no idea you could make such a significant regular income from playing Keno. <laughs> I mean, you, you, the streak of luck is just extraordinary. It's extraordinary, particularly given that typically the house keeps something like 15 cents out of every dollar. So um, isn't it terrific Brilliant. luck for someone that they managed to do so well for so long? Absolutely. So look, want to be careful not to draw any conclusions. That's not for us to do. But, you know, you watch these things and you do raise an eyebrow or yeah. two. And does it pass, does it pass the common sense and uh, um, practical test? Yeah, and and I right. think the leaders, Chris, and maybe it's a good segue into culture, the really important thing is, you know, what 
what have we to learn from this? You know, what are the exposures in our organisation that could leave us vulnerable to this sort of thing happening? Because we've talked before about the importance for leaders, whether that's counsellors, executives, people of influence in organisations, creating culture um, in the day-to-day things that we do. Uh, we might move on from that, Steve, as there's still some uh, some time for Operation Sandon to play out and we'll we'll keep tuned. Um, now, as we said, you've been talking with some new councils about uh, the induction process, and I think you've you had mentioned to me before what I think is a really good thing to note. Councils coming into their term, particularly brand new councillors, uh, will find that there are a, a, a range of policies and procedures in place that have been set by the outgoing council. And really, that's the sandpit that they need to be playing in in the short term, at least, isn't it? They must recognise that. Absolutely. And everyone um, working or on a board, you know, we all inherit policies that someone else has created and understanding which ones of those are negotiable and which ones, you know, you get to influence are important. But at this really busy time where there's a new council, um, particularly because of the 2020 uh, Local Government Act and, and that raft of, of work that needed to be done by 1 September, the new councils have, have inherited governance rules, um, expense policies, uh, use of council, uh, council resource and support policies um, from the previous councils. And that's in a way the starting point for their operations. Yes, so um, you mentioned governance rules, uh, conflict of interest procedures, etc. Um, I'm seeing a lot of talk about the new personal interest forms as an example of some of the things that have changed, by the way, which uh, we might talk about another time. What other things are cropping up in your mind that councillors should be particularly mindful of? Actually, I'll step outside the governance rules for a minute, Chris, and I think um, and this may be related to Sandon, um, but I think councillors, and particularly returning councillors, need to note not only the fact that um, they no longer have such a prescriptive regime in terms of conflicts of interest and how they're defined, you know, previously you're able to step through that, but also that fact that the, the Act now requires that councillors not participate in the decision-making process of the council. Um, I think you could take a black letter reading of the 1989 Act and, and I know there was a piece of evidence led at the IVAC Sandon hearing that councillors at Casey, uh, some councillors at times were talking to council staff and their colleagues um, about matters over which they had a conflict of interest. The Act makes it really clear now that if you've got a conflict of interest, there is to be, you know, you, you can't engage with the organisation about those matters and that's a really important element. I think the other part, Chris, if you're coming back to the governance rules, is that the councils in their governance rules are required to specify the means by which um, any conflicts of interest are to be disclosed. Now, um, personally, and councils will make their own decisions on these matters, but given that there was a quite detailed process set out in the 1989 Act, um, as a starting point, I would have thought most councils would have gone down that path and made sure that um, either by way of uh, open declaration at a council meeting um, or declaration to the CEO that councils councillors can and should declare their conflicts of interest, um, any new councillor would be wise to make sure they're absolutely across those requirements. You make a good point, though, uh, about highlighting that it's not just in the chamber when you're voting on something that you uh, need to absent yourself if you've got a conflict, but it's 
all, all of that process that occurs leading up to that point, which could be seen as an opportunity to influence one way or the other if you haven't absented yourself. Oh, absolutely. And remembering too, and I think it's easy to forget when you have uh, regular interactions with people, with council staff, maybe junior staff, um, for all councillors, that constant reminder that there is a power imbalance that is often um, not understood and a comment by a councillor that can be made in passing might by a staff member be taken as an instruction um, out of, you know, for whatever reason, loyalty to the CEO, whatever. So absolute care um, and attention and, you know, a real play safe policy um, is wise. That power imbalance issue is a really good one. I've had that conversation with councillors and staff many times, and it's one that people often find difficult to recognise just by virtue of the office that you hold, the conversation, the passing comment that you might make. It's going to have a different weight if it's coming from a councillor than uh, from, from somebody else. Absolutely. And I had a conversation with a councillor in the last week who really quite reasonably and, and well done uh, to that councillor said, that he'd made a comment to a member of council staff and was called on it by the CEO and didn't think anything of it particularly at the time. It was actually in a, in a, inside, in a council meeting. Hmm. Um, but then on reflection, um, because <laughs> in this environment that we're in, going back and looking at what was said, once the power imbalance was mentioned as well, it became quite apparent that um, there was a completely different meaning out of that. So... Um, this is real life stuff. It's not just sort of some hypothetical thing. It is. And people need to think through those, mm. uh, those elements. Um, expenses and use of council resources is another one where there will be an existing policy or a procedure that councillors need to be aware of and be working within, at least in the short term until such time. I think with all of these things, Steve, it probably bears saying, council has the power to remake these sorts of policies and procedures. But you know, that will take some time and you really need to test what's already in place, don't you? Absolutely. And look, the policy load on any council is excessive. You spend a lot of time reviewing policy. But what's really important over the life of the council too, Chris, when we talk about culture, is that we have a culture of live policies that we, you know, that we do live by and that are meaningful to people in the organisation. They haven't just been created and put on the shelf so um, council expense policies, the council has to have, that's already been adopted. I think with that one, the really important thing, Chris, because there's not going to be a huge amount of um, discretion in terms of the fact that expenses for councillor duties can be um, reimbursed. What's really important there is that the guidelines around what constitutes um, a council duty um, is clearly understood in the local context um, and that um, there's appropriate documentation and all of those sort of transparency issues. The other part too, of course, the council resources and support, there's no requirement under the Act to have that policy, but good practice would say that you do. And for councillors' own sort of protection and the comfort of the community, knowing that a range of council resources from meeting rooms, from administrative support, um, phones and laptops, that they are used for the purpose of council business, um, again, would give, give the community some satisfaction and trust in the organisation. And, and you make the point there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done from this point on by new councils around council plan and community engagement policies, et cetera. You really need to be focusing on getting that right before you go 
too much down the path of um, undoing or changing what's already in place. Absolutely, Chris. You've got some policies in place. And I mean, councils, um, you know, are currently required to abide by, uh, for example, the code of conduct that was established by the former council um, until such time as they adopt their own new code of conduct in the new year. So this isn't something that is worth any time pushing back on. You'll go through the process in the fullness of time. But you're quite right. Strategically, it's a busy time for the organisation. And I think, too, for new councillors just getting, or in fact, also returning councillors, that, that conversation around what is the role of the council um, where we're required to undertake deliberative engagement and consultation on key strategic documents. So that listening and making sure that we've been through, dare I say, sortition, Chris, um, in terms of um, making sure that we're consulting for the, with the entire community and then how the council sort of filters that into its decision-making process can be a real, um, I mean, there's a real intellectual exercise for councillors in terms of what is their role when they've been elected to make decisions. All right, and the perfect example uh, that you raised uh, in the Code of Conduct. Um, as always, we've run out of time, Steve. Good thank great. you. Whatever else is on your list, let's hold it over for next week, and I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about then. Have a great week. Sure, we will. Thanks, Chris. Steve Cooper joining us, as always, for the weekly governance update here on VLGA Connect. <laughs>